That part you can do any Sunday, but the exciting part is you can say hallelujah twice. You're permitted. <laughs> so let's go ahead and try it. I say he is risen. You say he is risen indeed. Then we all get to, once a year, say hallelujah two times in a row. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You're supposed to really hit that because you only get to do it once a year, but we'll go with it. If you've got your Bible, go ahead and turn to John chapter 20. First, though, let me say a little thank you to everyone who participated in any way in our, in our Easter outreach egg hunt yesterday. We uh, had people that passed out flyers. We had people that donated candy. We had people that stuffed candy. I was doing a rough countdown of... Um, just the egg work, it was about five hours of stuffing and another hour or so of putting them out to last about, I don't know, seven minutes to pick up 2,300 eggs. I was like, wow, they're quick. <laughs> so thank you to all who came. We had um, almost, almost 200 people here, but over 70 kids going for eggs out on the lawn, and that's exciting to see. So um, Thank you to everybody who participated in any way, brought your, your kids, your grandkids, your neighbors, stuffing eggs, or I, I'm, in one sense, I really am blessed. I got here uh, just after 7 yesterday. There were already people setting up outside, and then my son had a baseball game, so I left at noon, and when I left, there were people still working, and I thought, it's a pretty good place when I can come, and there's people that are already doing things, and I can leave, and things got done, and so thank you. I appreciate all of you. For those of you who missed it, um, all I can say is, th- there's, no, there's no criticism, but you missed a good time. I mean, we, we served, I don't know how many, I should have found out how many pounds of bacon, but I got to guess around 20 pounds of bacon, give or take. Another, I think, probably another 12 pounds of sausage based on the number of packages. Uh, four gallons of milk, a bunch of juice. So much juice that I wanted juice at the end, and I was like, oh, there's only one, and it's not even open, so I won't have juice. It's all right. I had a bottle of water. It was probably better for me anyway. But thanks again to everybody who came out yesterday and made yesterday such a fun thing to show our community that we care. And um, I hope that you will join us uh, for our chili cook-off. If you have a great chili recipe, please come out. Last year we had 20. We're hoping to have at least 10 because, you know, once somebody loses, they go, forget it. I'm never coming back. I don't think so. And uh, if nothing else, at least come, bring a friend. You guys, the ones who come and eat the chili, they get to vote. So if nothing else, at least you're participating in the democratic process. <laughs> and uh, somebody asked me yesterday with the fly, oh, is this a fundraiser? And I said, no, it's just for fun. And they were like, it's free? And I was like, yeah. And they were like, wow. I was like, I didn't know it was that hard to get free chili in this town. But yes, <laughs> yes, it's free. If you've got your Bible, go ahead and turn to John chapter 20. If not, the scripture will be up here. It says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that some had been, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out, and the other disciple, 
and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. Let me just, in case you weren't here last week or, or didn't know this, the other disciple, tradition, and the other gospels basically tell us it's John, but since John's writing this and doesn't want to brag that he's the one that Jesus calls beloved, and he's the one who outran Peter, and he's the one who's the only one who stood by while he was being crucified, he just, he's humble and he calls himself the other disciple. So it's like talking in the third person almost. But that's who the other disciple is traditionally believed to be. And he says, And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloth lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloth lying there and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who came to the tomb first, went in also. And he saw and he believed. For yet... For as yet they did not know the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. And then the disciples went away to their own home. All right. So to give you a little background, why were they going to the grave? Okay, understand, they weren't embalmed. And in a grave in those days, what you did is you waited until basically, it's going to get a little graphic here, kids. Just hold on to your stomachs. You waited until the flesh rotted off the bones. You gathered the bones together. They went back to the family to do whatever they wanted to do with Carry them around. I don't know what they do with the bones, but it goes back to the family. And you get the bones, and, um, and that's how it worked. And so what they would do is, a couple days after death, since there was no embalming, they'd go and they'd put spices all over the body. They did that because the stench would be pretty bad otherwise as the flesh rotted away. Even though it's sealed up, it's how they did it. They'd roll the stone back. If you think, no way, that couldn't possibly happen. Just to put it in perspective, in France, you buy your grave for only 30 years or 50 years unless you're poor and they bury you and you don't have money then you get it for 10 years then they dig it up and somebody else gets your spot and they don't even give you the body back they just dispose of it so it's not even uncommon in our world today for those of you who wanted to go see Jim Morrison's grave you can still go to the cemetery but as soon as his term was up they dug that body up and had him out of there so those of you who wanted to make a pilgrimage to somebody there in France the body's not there it's been taken away disposed of properly so, this gives you a picture of why was she going to the tomb? Well, because it was time to cover that body with fragrances to keep the stench down so that when they go back to check and see if it's decomposed enough to get the bones, it doesn't wipe you out. All right, so she gets there. The stone's been moved. She knows he's not there. She runs to tell the disciples. One of the things I love in this is it says, and they ran. The reason they ran was there was anticipation and excitement. They wanted to see what was going on. They didn't even fully understand yet, but they run to see what's going on. Another thing the text tells us is John gets there, and he doesn't even go in. He gets there, and it says he looks in. Peter gets there, and he goes in. For all the criticism we have of Peter in the church, because he denies Christ, and he cuts a guy's ear off, and he talks like a sailor because he was one, and he has all these other issues... He's the one who gets there, and he goes in, and then John follows him in. But there's fear, and there's uncertainty. It says the clothes are there, the handkerchief is folded. I love the fact that when Jesus rises again, he's not slovenly. He folds it up neatly, sets it off to the side. You get a picture of a guy who's pretty organized in life. As soon as the other disciple, as soon as John sees it, it says he believed. These are the guys who had walked with Jesus for three years. And what had they experienced? 
They'd seen miracles. They'd seen Lazarus raised from the dead just shortly before this whole experience happens. You've got to remember, that's not like years before. That's just a few weeks, basically, shortly before the triumphal entry. Lazarus is raised from the dead. We see the lame, the guy by the pool that's healed and he can walk. We see blind people come. We see Jesus and a mob of people, and there's a woman who had been sick for 30 years and touches him, and Jesus knows that he's been touched, and he said, your faith has made you whole. They've seen these things with their own eyes, and yet they get there, well, he's dead, so it's all over. They were hoping for the revolution. In their mind, this is going to be the revolution. He's the general, and they're going to be their little, you know, he's going to be the leader, and they're going to be the little generals that get to go forward. Remember, for three years they walked with Jesus, and it never tells us once that they were hungry. It never tells us they were desperate for money. They've had a pretty good life for three years. For three years, everywhere they go, people want to see them. And obviously, people are taking care of them. Because for three years, they haven't worked. They've gone where he went, town to town, day by day. That's what they did. They had families. Some of them we know they had families. And yet, you never hear their families were out on the streets. They've had a good life. Walking with this guy, people want to be around him. And in one sense, they'll pay us to be around him. They'll, there's money in that treasury, they know, because they actually talk about it a couple of times, how they thought he had gone to buy stuff. And then another time, when perfume was poured on Jesus, one of the disciples gets mad because that could have been sold and the money could have been put in our treasury. So they've had a They've had it pretty good. And now, as far as they saw it, they kind of scatter after he's dead. The only one, there's only one that stands by the cross, the one that Jesus calls his beloved, the one that he looks at and says, take care of my mother, who we know is John. The rest of them split because it's too dangerous. So here we are. Mary comes and gets him and says, they've taken him away. And John instantly, he sees it and he knows all this stuff that Jesus has been telling us, all the stuff we've seen, all the stuff we've experienced, he knows and he believes. But Peter heads back to his house because he doesn't know what to do. They didn't understand that this was the very fulfilling of what Jesus had talked about. Jesus had prophesied and told them what was going to happen specifically. And yet, in the moment, they didn't understand it. They don't understand what's going on. With all the facts and all the evidence, they still don't see it. It's the same thing can be said of our lives today. Go ahead and pull up slide number two there, Jake. We have faith, and we believe, but what does that look like? A couple weeks ago, I got to go on a cruise with my parents for their 50th anniversary. Not my 50th, it was theirs. My 50th isn't for a couple more years, I don't think. Um, <clears throat> but for my parents' 50th anniversary, we got to go on a cruise. And it was my parents, my grandmother, who's 91, um, my sister, brother-in-law, her kids, Tracy and I and our kids. We had a great week. We, uh, you know, I, I could play trivia three times a day on these ships and um, go to the piano lounge each night and listen to the guys sing. Shout out requests like Mr. Bojangles and get to sing along to songs you never get to hear otherwise. Got to dance with my 91-year-old grandmother to the song that my grandpa used to sing to her. By the end of the dance, she said, I'm tired. And I said, so am I. (laughs) 
had a good time. But here's the thing about this ship. This wasn't actually my ship. This is one that looks like it, though. 19 stories high or 19 decks. And you get on the ship, and I walk around. And when I'm in the inside of the ship, I don't even think about the fact that I'm on a ship. You just walk around. You just go wherever you go. And uh, take the elevators and sit, you know, we sit on our balcony, watch for whales. One of my favorite things is we saw these whales coming out of Cabo San Lucas when we were leaving. These whales, this one whale completely breached out of the water, so you see the whole thing, which is awesome. But my favorite thing is you'd see the spout of water from this whale, and about 50 yards behind it and 10 seconds later, this little poof. And then you'd see the spout of water from the whale, and then about poof. And it was just, it was just like, look at that baby whale. You can't see it at all. We could just see the little poof. And it was a great time. But here's the thing. I tell you all of that to say this. I walked onto that ship knowing I was on the water. Never once thought, how does this thing float? What are the engines? Never concerned that we might hit an iceberg or run ashore or anything. I just got on that thing and lived my life on vacation for a week, pretty much separated from the world. Didn't think about, other than the only time I thought about what time of day it was was Trivia, is I'd mark my little schedule, I'd be there, ready to go, and ready to argue with their answers, and realize how much I don't know. But that's what I did. And yet, think about this. I had no part in building that ship. No part in checking its maintenance records. No part in going down and checking the engine. I just got on the ship and went for a week. And that, my friends, is faith. Sometimes we try to make it this big, astronomical, metaphysical thing. Faith is this. Do I believe in things? I've had people that say, well, I just don't have faith. I disagree with them. Because you walk out in the morning, you put your key in the ignition of your car, you turn it, unless you're driving like a 74 Pinto going, come on, baby, come on. Most of us don't do that. We just put the key in, turn it, and it's going to start, right? So you have faith. If nothing else, you have faith in an automobile. You get to work that day, you go in, you sit down at your desk, you begin to do your job. Whether you're an accountant or a plumber or whatever, you go in, you just start doing what it is you do. Why? Because you have faith that you still have a job. You didn't go to your boss every morning and say, excuse me, do I still have a job? Okay, then I'll start working. We just walk in and we work. You walk in and you teach. You walk in and you law. I don't know if you're a lawyer what you do, whatever it's called. You walk in and you do whatever it is you do, though, right? That's, that's how we live life. We live life living out faith every day, whether we call it faith or not. So sometimes we try to make faith this astrophysical, crazy, I don't know if I have faith in, go ahead and pull up my next slide, Jake. Here's the thing. This is America. This is people in America. 92% of Americans believe that Jesus existed, that he was a real person, walked the earth, maybe did some good things, maybe was a teacher, whatever, but 92% of Americans believe Jesus existed, okay? We have evidence both within the Bible, but also outside the Bible. If you're ever wanting to read, go read a guy named Josephus. He was, an Israel, he was a historian for the nation of Israel, hired by the government. His job was to record their history. He talks about this guy named Jesus, not as the Savior or Messiah, but just as a guy who existed that, did, that had followers. There was a teacher, is actually what he calls him, a teacher and a rabbi. 56% of people in America say they believe that Jesus is God or a God. 
in some way they recognized Jesus was either a god or he was an a-god, whatever their school of thought allows them. 56% of people in America believe that. 31% of people in America, this isn't other countries, 31% of people in America say that their faith has impacted them in some way. So in other words, they believe that Jesus existed, they believe Jesus is God, and they believe they've made some type of a thing that says, yes, Jesus has changed me. Now, here's the most startling one. Only 7%, sorry, I don't have a 7 up there. I should have had an exciting 7 as my next slide. I just didn't plan well enough ahead. 7% say Jesus changes the way they live their day-to-day life. 7%. And you might be in here going, well, that is so sad or that's so pathetic. But remember this. Disciples walked with him for three years. Only one of them's there when he's crucified. Only two of them go to the tomb to see what's going on. And these are the ones that walked with him every day. It's not a criticism. I'm not here to criticize anyone. What I'm here is to say there's more to it than just being in one of these groups. You can say, well, I believe in Jesus. So does 92% of the people in America. You can say, well, I believe he could be God. So do 56%. Well, I think he's made some kind of difference in my life. So does one out of three, basically. But it's until you get down to the, what does he do that challenges me? What does he do that makes me live different? Something I tell people quite often is this. God loves you so much, he accepts you exactly as you are, and he loves you too much to not change who you are. You are broken, you are sinful. If you don't think you're sinful, just think, what was the last bad thing I did? And if you can't come up with anything, let's spend time together, I'll help you. And I'm not picking on you, I'm not criticizing you, because I say all the time, I'm the worst sinner I know. You know how I know it? Because I know my thoughts. And I know that if I didn't have Jesus in my life, I know what I'd be like. Paul calls himself the greatest of all sinners, and I think, Paul, you got nothing on me. I'm a sinner. The difference is, I've understood and I've allowed Jesus to work in me and change all that stuff. God loves me so much, he doesn't want me to stay the same. Here's the best analogy I can give you. My daughter, whom I love very much, is away at college. And Easter is, my favorite holiday is Thanksgiving, and so she really engages in Thanksgiving because she wants me to be happy. Her favorite holiday is Easter. She loves it. She loves just She loves the brightness, she loves the colors, she loves just something about it just in her resonates, and her favorite holiday is Easter. And uh, I texted her this morning, early in the morning, just to say, Happy Easter, which is what I would tell her every year. (laughs) I don't know why. People do strange things with their kids. (laughs) But when my daughter was getting ready to go to college and she's headed off there, I wrote her a check, and I gave her a little piece of paper. And this little piece of paper goes to help cover her tuition. goes to help cover some of her food. This little piece of paper, essentially, she can exchange that for food. And on her meal plan, she can eat meals every day, three a day, as much as she wants during these set times. She can go in and just, and because she, my daughter, I'm going to probably violate some cardinal principle, but I know her well enough, she's not going to care. She's five foot two and weighs 102 pounds. She can eat whatever she wants. And she eats about, she eats less than a bird. I, I used to say she eats like a bird, and I thought, no, there's birds that easily out eat her. She doesn't eat much. And then the, to make it worse, what she does eat is junk food. 
her dinner, I'll come home and she'll be having a bowl of ice cream and two chocolate chip cookies. I'm like, oh, you having a snack? No, this is dinner. And then she'll say stuff like, I'm not going to finish it if you want the rest. I'm like, no, I don't need the rest of your dinner. <laughs> All that to say, I don't tell her to work hard in school because I'm mean. I don't challenge her in her homework because I don't like her. I don't tell her, you need to be diligent. You need to do these things because I'm not kind. I do it because I want the best for her. I think sometimes I want more for her than she wants for herself because I see what she can be. I see her potential. It's not that I'm critical of who she is. It's that I know she can be so much more than she can possibly dream herself to be. She needs to work hard and be diligent, not because it benefits me, but because I see the beauty in who she can become. And God does the same thing. He looks at you and he sees the beauty in who you can become. He says, well, I'm, I'm this way. I've always done this. I've always struggled with this addiction. I've always struggled with this sin. I've always struggled with being angry. I've always struggled. But he looks and he says, but you don't have to. You can choose a better way. You can choose to live your life different with his empowering. It's not, well, if I just put my mind to it, I'm going to change. No, it's allowing God to show you and shape you and mold you into who he created you to be. Faith is not simple, but it doesn't have to be this complicated thing we make it to be. The issue is making our faith change and challenge the way we live. Allowing my faith in who God is to change from the person I was to the person he desires me to be. Not because he doesn't love me as I am, but because he loves me too much to let me stay the same. Go ahead and pull up my next slide. Some of you, you picture this and you see this is the American dream. Once you have this, you're completed. This idyllic little house, or a leave it to beaver house with the white picket fence and the little, you know, the little patio that really doesn't do any good for you because nobody's going to sit out there. What, are you going to sit out and watch traffic? No, nobody uses it. <laughs> but we picture this, and we have this idea that if I get this, I'll be complete. And first off, I want you to know, if that's your goal in life, chase it. If that's what you want to see, then do it. That's fine. But once you get that, once you attain it, it's not going to be enough. It's never going to be enough because if that's all we think we have, then we miss out on so much more. The kingdom of God is about something more than what we have here. I'm not against stuff. I say all the time, I like stuff. I like money because I can buy stuff, and I wish I had more stuff. Not a lot more, but just specific stuff. Because I look and I go, I got a garage full of stuff I don't want. Now where's the stuff that I do want? <laughs> if I could only figure out how to get rid of this stuff and get something else, then I'd be happy. You know, that's how our minds kind of work. Um, Jerry Seinfeld has this routine where he talks about how really all, all our lives are is about getting stuff because you have some stuff and then you go and you get a house and it's more stuff and then we fill the garage with stuff and he said, and even our casket, sometimes people put stuff in there <laughs> because it's, we're about stuff. <coughs> Too oftentimes though, we think that's what we're changing or chasing and the reality is there's a kingdom of God and he's looking and he's saying, I want more for you. I want more than this house. I want more than the Ferrari. I want more than the whatever it is, than the yacht, than the country club membership, the whatever it is that you're chasing, those things, I'm going to tell you now, I'm not against them. I'm not against wealth. What I am, though, is against us thinking that that's what life is about. 
It's about fulfilling some kind of thing that we call the American dream or the keeping up with the Joneses. There's so much more. There is so much more. Because if we start thinking about the kingdom, we're going to start thinking differently. The disciples had seen the miraculous. Um, they didn't want it to be over. They, they enjoyed the ride that they were on. They desired to know God more, which is what Jesus tells them he's going to help them do. And as we begin to see them, they begin to understand, and we can begin to understand also, this is done in community. Jesus chose 12 disciples. Jesus could have chosen one. Had he chosen John, the end result probably would have been pretty much the same. Could have built the church on one. But he chooses a group because he says, you can know who God is by yourself. If any of you want to go and just understand and know who God is, I can introduce you to God and you can know him, but you're never going to experience the fullness of what he has for you outside of community. The reason God designed this world the way we live is because he wants us to know community should challenge you. Community should shape you. Community should mold you. I've said many times, there is no perfect church. That's what James was alluding to earlier. There is no perfect church and there is no perfect preacher. He got to hear my first message. I am far from perfect. Again, I know how broken I am. But what I know is that when we gather together with people, you have imperfect people gathering together and there's things that are hard and difficult. But if you allow that to shape and point your view of God, then you're always going to have a distorted view of God as well. Any, and I've, I've said this many times, and I'm going to say it many more times, never trust the guy up front who says, I'm the only one who you can trust. I'm the only one with the truth. Don't trust. If there's a church that says, we're the only perfect one, run far, far away from them. And I'm not here to criticize other churches. I'm here to give you a warning. When you hear that there's only one true church, or only one true, there's one true message, and that is Jesus is God's son, he died for you. He was raised from the dead so that you could have life. That one true message, I believe. But there's not just one church preaching it. There's churches all over this city giving that same message today. But because we're not perfect, it's hard because we don't want to be with other people that aren't perfect. We're already imperfect. We're, it's already easy for us to get mad at people. It's already easy, easy enough for us to hold a grudge against someone or alienate someone because they don't say things that we want to hear or they don't say it like we want. It's really easy to go somewhere where the message always just makes me happy and doesn't challenge me. But I tell people all the time, if all you're ever hearing is a, like a downer of a message, then I wouldn't come here either. But if you're never being uplifted, but if you're never being challenged, I'm supposed to challenge you. I'm supposed to say things that make you think. There's this path and this pattern. I had some of my students when I was a youth pastor for 10 years because I did middle school, high school, and college, and I had students for 10 years, and I would tell them, you should question, you should doubt, you should wonder, you should get in the Word and find out what God says, but at the end of the day, it's not okay to sit and rest in that place of doubt. It's not okay to allow your doubt to become disbelief because if you do, you have just believed the wrong things. I would watch students go through junior high and high school and maybe go off to college and watch them walk away from their faith. And time and time again, I'd think, the reason they walked away from their faith is because I failed to prepare them in, the, in this way. It's okay to doubt, but don't sit in your doubt. It's okay to question, but find those answers. God has the answer for you. 
And when we allow ourselves to sit there, we will be defeated. But when we allow ourselves the safety of doubting and knowing that God on the other side is still going to come out and be true, God on the other side is still going to come out and be the one who is constant, then all we've done is we've strengthened our faith. That's what we've done then. Today as we leave, I want you to know this. Jesus rose from the dead so that we can be free from our sin. This is not a pass to live as we choose, but a freedom to walk in relationship with God that we could not have had Jesus not made that sacrifice. From the very beginning, when there was sin, there had to be a blood sacrifice. Jesus wasn't fooled, frustrated, or confused when man sinned. Jesus understood at the beginning, man is going to choose, and when he has that choice, he's not going to choose me. And so Jesus was sent as a sacrifice so that we can reconnect and reestablish relationship with God. In that reestablishment, in that relationship, it's designed to be lived out in a community. It's designed for us to grow and learn and stretch and be challenged. It should be comfortable sometimes. But it shouldn't just be a world where it's just comfort because that's not the world we live in outside this place. One of the things I long to see is for us as a church impacting those who aren't in here. Not because we have to be the biggest church in town. I mean, we can hold, we have 80 chairs. That's what we have. I don't know if you know this, but our average monthly attendance was about 129, and we have 80 seats. So we do two services, and we do some different things, but that's what we have is we have about 129 people each week that call this their church. Probably actually have more than that because any given Sunday in America, they say somebody who's fully committed to your church is there about 70% of the time. So, you know, you figure we've got about 70% of our congregation any given week, which is great. I love it. But I say that we need to reach the world because I don't have to be the biggest. But I can't stand the thought that there's people out there that don't know the truth of who God is. I can't stand the thought that there's people out there that want to move from the 92 to maybe the 56, maybe even to the 31, and possibly the 7. They want to, they just don't even know it yet. And if we don't show them the truth of who God is by the way we live our lives, if I'm not challenged and changed and growing, I'm going to lose people all around me. People that I should genuinely care about. And it's not about bashing people in the head. It's not about being an affront to them. It's about saying, hey, there's something here that challenges me. There's something here that grows me. Discussion groups on Sunday night, I'm actually not going to be a part. I actually had a long conversation with Phil. And let me tell you why I'm not going to be a part. Because I'm the spiritual leader, and when I sit down at the table, everybody shuts up and they listen to me, and I already spend too much time yakking. <laughs> the reason I wasn't in a group at Alpha, I came to Alpha every week. The reason I wasn't in a group isn't because I don't like groups or I don't value them. It's because when I sit down, people are quiet, and they think, well, you're the spiritual expert, and I don't want to sound stupid. And I tell people all the time, I'm not. 
But that's what happens. To be honest, if you're a lawyer and I came into your office, I wouldn't just start saying, well, here's what we're going to do to take care of this legal matter. I'd say, here's what I do. What do we do to take care of this legal matter? <laughs> if you don't believe me, you can ask, there's a guy in the church that's come over and helped me fix many things. And here's what I say, show me, but I'm not going to, I can't do it. I'll hand you tools. Fix my garage door opener last year on uh, New Year's Day. He showed, you know, he, he was doing it, and I'm handing him things. He's helping me, and I'm learning and growing. I gained some confidence. I gained some understanding. I still could not replace a garage door opener. I can't do my own plumbing. I can't do most of those things. So when I'm there, they're teaching me, and that's normal. And so I value, though, our Sunday night discussion groups because it's people coming together to talk about you know, he said this, and I don't agree with it, and that's okay. I've already told Phil, it's okay for people to say they don't agree with something I said. Ask him about it. Ask him what, you know, well, why not, or what, what do you think? Don't just say, it's not just going to be sit around and complain about how bad my message was session, but it is about stretching and growing and learning. It's about asking questions. It's not about one person leading study that everybody just sits there. It's about coming together because that's how community is formed. We form little groups and you begin to build relationships. Relationships that can hold you accountable. Relationships that can challenge you. Relationships that can become lifelong friendships. I have friends with people in the other churches I've served along the way going back. I've been a pastor for 22 years almost. And there are people that were in my first church that I still talk to on a regular basis. I was in 10 years in San Diego, and there's not a month that goes by that I don't talk with somebody from down there. I've been gone for five years now. And I still have those relationships. That's what church allows us to do when we say, I'm going to be invested in this community. It's not perfect but I'm going to make that sacrifice. This isn't a condemnation of those who only come once or twice a year. I'm telling you right now, if you only come once or twice a year, come here. Okay? You're welcome. I want you here. <laughs> but if you want to move forward and grow in that way, if you want to be challenged, but also have people come alongside you to build relationship with, so that we can walk through this life and learn and grow and develop and become more of who God desires for us to be, then make the sacrifice, make the commitment, Give up what's, what's comfortable to you and become a part of what we have going on in our lives. That's what I desire for you. I desire every person to be in a church, in a community, whether it's this one or another one, because I want more for you than you probably even understand. I want more for you as a pastor than you could possibly even comprehend because I believe in you. I believe that God has a plan and a purpose for every one of you or he wouldn't have allowed his son to die to save us. But he did that because he believes in us. Father God, I thank you for who you are, and I thank you for your love and grace on us. God, I just pray that today we would see and know and recognize who your son is. God, it's not that we don't have doubts. It's that you don't want us to just be content and resting in our doubts. You want us to be challenged to think through, to process through, and to walk through and beyond where we are. God, help us to be more of who you created us to be. In your name, amen. One final thing. Um, 
some of you know we've been working with foster families for eight years now um, in, in various ways. We do the Christmas party, we do the summer barbecue. And one of the things about foster kids is um, oftentimes they're not taken from their family under the best of circumstances. Sometimes they have to be taken late at night or from school. Sometimes um, there's other various circumstances. And sometimes it's not even necessarily a kid that's going to go on to foster care, but there's kids that need to have emergency 24-hour care for 24 hours. There's been a car accident, somebody, a parent has died, and we still have a child or an infant, and we haven't been able to find the other parent. Um, the police department has to put that child with someone. As many of you know, I work with the Des Moines Police Department. It's been a pleasure and a privilege, and for all their flaws and all our failures as, as a police department, we still genuinely love and care about people. One of the things they do is they love and care about kids. We have these bags. They are emergency 24-hour care bags. It's basically literally to get them through the first 24 hours. Mainly it's baby and toddler, but we go all the way up to teenagers. If we have to remove a child from a situation or there's been a car accident and we can't find, and somebody's been even just taken to the hospital, but we have to care for this kid, we put them in basically foster homes that are emergency care foster homes, which typically they have them between 24 and 72 hours is all they typically take them. These are bags that the police voluntarily can carry in their trunk. They're not required to, but uh, there's none of the officers I've ridden with that don't carry some. If there's a situation like that, or if they have to pick up a child from school for safety reasons and take them somewhere, this gets them through 24 hours. We give this to the family who's holding them and watching them for 24 hours. It's they ask you, don't put extra stuff in here, it's a small bag, but it's everything from like, this one is a sippy cup, small container of travel wipes, one size four or five diaper or pull up. Literally it's, we just need to get them through 24 hours. You know, a toothbrush, pajamas, soft toy, a t-shirt, underwear size 3T. We have bags like this. I've got like 100 of them. I don't expect us to fill 100 of them, but just so that you have perspective, the city of Des Moines uses one, approximately 100 of these a year. And you may think, well, I don't know anyone like that. It's because most of these kids are so obscured and they bounce around and they are in and out that you may not know, you may never even get to meet a kid like this. But we, for the next five weeks, are collecting bags. I've got the bags. Again, just do what's on the list. Don't, you know, don't try to help out the family. We're just doing what's on the list because it's only, you don't need to give them anything they need long-term. We're not giving furniture. We're not collecting money. We're just putting these together so that the police and other emergency workers have them in their vehicle so that, and we'll also be giving some to the uh, um, fire station, which is just two blocks away. They actually, we store them down at the police department, but we give them to the fire station as well. So if there's a house fire and the family's lost everything, Red Cross comes in and gets them like a hotel room and that kind of thing, but we can say, here, this will get your toddler and your two other kids through until Red Cross can get you gift cards for Fred Meyer or Target or something. So if you're interested, go ahead and grab them. If not, that's fine. The, we have some back by the sound booth. We have some in the Java Dock. And I would invite you to come on out, grab a cup of coffee, meet someone, and uh, stick around for a little bit. And we'll be collecting these through Mother's Day. So thanks. Have a great week. See you later.